0: Well, church, it's really good to see you this morning. I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of John this morning. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. Thanks for joining us for worship this Christmas morning here at Dawson. Uh, Just reiterate what John has already said and just extends a welcome to uh, family and friends that have gathered with us this morning alongside of our Dawson members. Welcome to our church. We're so privileged that you've chosen to worship with us We worship on the day, this very day, a beautiful day, is it not? So it's a wonderful day, it's a gorgeous day to be able to celebrate the greatest gift ever given. And as we maybe already, I know some of you are delaying the the giving of gifts and the receiving of gifts. We we were up, the Eldridge household was up. Uh, not as early as we have been in previous years. Our boys are getting a little bit older, but our youngest was stirring everyone up uh, early this morning, and so we were, we were opening gifts before 7. And, and it, is, it is fun to be able to ponder, is it not, the perfect giver who has given us the perfect gift on a day that we're able to exchange gifts with friends and to do that with family members. There's a tremendous amount of joy that we're able to receive in that. A couple months ago, I received a baseball highlight. It was a game that I'm not a fan of either of these teams. But as I was scrolling through some of the highlights, uh, something struck me as I was watching it. It was a Tigers-Giants game. Again, in, in my you know fandom as a Chicago Cubs fan, there's not much to see in that highlight other than the whole game. Right behind the umpire, there was a fan that has this bright yellow sign that has one Bible verse on it. What was that Bible verse? You're exactly right. Leviticus 14:26 <laughs> It was exactly, you're such an astute uh, Christmas crowd here this morning. Yes, of course, it was John 3:16, And you know that not because you saw the tiger's Giants highlight reel from this last year. You know that because you've watched countless games. You've seen the field goal kicker lining up, and you've got that fan that's got a bright sign that says John 3.16 on it. You're watching a basketball game, and somebody's getting ready to shoot a free throw, and you see a fan there in the stands, and he or she has got this big sign that says what? Not Leviticus 14.26, of course not. It is John 3.16. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, we have been walking through John chapter one this Advent season, and I'm going to encourage us as we think through uh, this Christmas gift. We think through the why of Christmas. Is there any better passage for us to ponder than John three sixteen? Will you turn there with me in your copy of God's Word? Why does that fan at a Tigers Giants game? Why does the fan in the end zone? Why does the fan right there in, in the, the view of the camera of, of the person shooting a free throw, why out of all the passages of scripture, why is that the clearest passage for that fan to, to hold up? Well, obviously, that fan is thinking that, that maybe somebody will see that sign and pull out their phone and, and Google John 3.16 or go on a Twitter search for John 3.16 or go to their bookshelf. And pull off a, a grandmother's gift from years ago and maybe blow off some of the dust and to open up to the table of contents and find John's gospel and turn to the third chapter in verse 16. Why that one verse? Well, John 3, 16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, said that this is the Bible in one verse. I've also seen that Luther said that this is the gospel in one verse. Is it the Bible in one verse? Is it the gospel in one verse? The answer is it is both. We see how Luther could have said both of these things here. Max Lucado, a more recent pastor and author, says it as he encapsulates the essence of this passage here. John 3.16 is the hope diamond of the Bible. A 26-word parade of hope. Beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. We all need the reminder that the heart of the human problem is the heart of the human and God's treatment is prescribed in John 3:16. Now we as a church have been walking through the first uh, chapter of John's gospel this Advent season here, but we fast forward to this encounter that a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day by the name of Nicodemus, has with John in the third chapter. He comes to Jesus at night. He has seen and he has heard of the miracles that this person is doing here, and he knows what he is saying is not from mere man, and he knows what he is doing is not also from a mere man. So he comes to to get a a bird's eye view, really to be able to see up close who is this Jesus. And in the course of their conversation, Jesus brings to the the really essence and the heart of this chapter, and really the heart of of Christmas, as he says that you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus hears this and he's thinking physical birth. Jesus is talking about spiritual rebirth here. And so Nicodemus asks, how can these things be? If you remember the passage, he's contrasting Jesus is with Moses being uplifted here. And he says, Jesus will be uplifted. So Jesus is previewing his crucifixion. He's previewing his resurrection and ultimately his ascension. And he says to Nicodemus, for you to be born again, you must look to me. You must gaze upon me with saving faith here. And so All of Nicodemus's questions and his wanderings and his religious anxiety that he has, it is all going to be solved by by gazing by faith at Jesus as Savior. And so in this context of John chapter 3 here, Nicodemus is hearing how he can receive eternal life. And if we would have ears to hear, we can overhear this conversation that a religious leader was having 2,000 years ago with the Son of God. And we can hear how we too can have eternal life. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas? It is crystallized in this famous passage here that I want you to see first in this passage, the extent of God's love. Notice it begins with these words here, for God so loved the world that he gave. Can you underline he gave in your Bible? Can you put a asterisk by it? Can you put a star by it? He gave. It shows us just how vast and unbounded and the bottomless sea of God's love that knows no end that God would give such a gift. Notice that the statement isn't that God is simply love but we see in John three sixteen the extent of God's love. Now love is a word that is in many ways, asked to do a whole lot of heavy lifting in the English language. We use this one four-letter word to describe a host of things from our likes to our fandoms, to our lust, to our interest. This last week, you could have said, hey, I love this new band. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta hear them. You gotta check them out yourself. I love this new band. Or, hey, there's a new restaurant. I, I, you, I love this restaurant. You gotta try it out. It's really, really good here. You could have heard this last week, I love Auburn football, I love Auburn basketball, I love Alabama basketball, you could have heard that. I love Stanford University, I love, you could have this whole list. Over the last few evenings, we've been watching some uh, Christmas music, uh, movies in the Eldridge household. And so last night, we, we kind of got to the, the movie that we always watch at Christmas Eve, It's a Wonderful Life. And you would hear at the Eldridge household, we, we love It's a Wonderful Life. And that same word of love is the same word that I'm going to use to describe not only an interest and a fondness and a fandom for things, but also I can say I love my three sons and I love my wife of 23 years. A huge range of emotions to describe this, this one, used to describe this one word right here. And notice in this passage here that, that God would define for us love not as just mere sentimental sort of hallmark card expressions, but he shows us just how much we are loved. In the Greek language, there are four different words that we translate love. The first word is storge, which is a love for family. It's a loyalty to family. Uh, We're in the Christmas holidays right here, and you know what it is to, to love your family. There's a country music song written by Casey Musgraves that is about a love for family. And she says, family is family in church or in prison. You get what you get and you don't get to pick them. That's, that's, that is storge love. That is, a, that is loyalty to family. That, that's, that's one kind of love. There's another love in the uh, Greek language that is eros. That is a word that we get erotic from. That is sensual love, romantic love. Phileo is a third word for love. Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. This is a friendship type of love. But the love that is being described here in John 3.16 is not storge love. It is not phileo love. It is not eros love. It is agape love. It is a love that is not based upon uh, what we receive, but it is uh, unconditional love. God doesn't just talk about He doesn't just express a sentimental feeling toward us, but he shows us the depth of his love. And that depth of his love is what we sing about at Christmas. I love that old hymn by F. H. Lehman: "The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell." Could we with ink the ocean fill and where the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on the earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. This is the extent of God's love, that he would give his only son. As we think of his only son, it moves us to the depth of God's love that he gave. But what did he give? He gave his only son, the word in the original language in the New Testament right here, that gets translated in the King James Version as only begotten. You remember that in the King James Version? You remember here in the ESV, we see he gave his only son. Some translations say one and only so we're, we're trying to pile words upon themselves here to express this isn't just uh, one son here. This is the only begotten son. This is the one and only son. This is the special, holy, unique son. The word is monogenes. It is a word that is used throughout the Bible to talk about this intimate parent-child love. One of the deepest emotions. I know not everyone in this room is a father or a mother. I uh, certainly am aware of that. All of us are sons or daughters. Uh, 17 years ago, uh, today, was the day that we brought home our, our oldest son from the hospital. Hayden was born on December the 23rd, and our first Christmas day, we, we brought him home that morning. It was uh, a unique time. We were living in Mobile, not frankly by choice but by kind of we got blown toward Mobile because of a small little hurricane by the name of Hurricane Katrina and we were we were cleaning up our parsonage and the church and we we're rebuilding all of this and we found real quickly we found a two bedroom trailer off of airport boulevard airport road there in Mobile some of you know exactly where I'm talking about and it was not how we planned Christmas prior to the storm. I mean, we've got enough moms in here, you know, especially your oldest son. By the time you get to your third or fourth, you just, you know, throw them in a room, you know. But, but your, first, your first kid, you have a whole lot of, of attention given to the nursery. You have a whole lot of, of goals and plans for what the nursery is gonna be like. And I remember coming home uh, to, to that trailer that we're living in that we were grateful for, but it wasn't exactly how we planned for it to be. And I remember that night where Danielle was rocking Hayden to sleep. First night together, Christmas night, 17 years ago. And she was just singing to him. And in that moment, I realized that there was a deeper reservoir of love that was untapped prior to that moment of having a son. That that there was just this deep, abiding love, this deep joy that welled up inside of me that I, I didn't have to muster, I didn't have to choose. It, it was just there. And in, in that moment, being able to gaze upon my son and to be able to see Danielle rocking him and singing him to sleep, it was just in that moment, there was just something that so deep. And that's me as a sinful human describing this love. That's me as a sinful father. But but to be able to extrapolate this love that you feel as parents. And you feel to to your family members. To be able to extrapolate that love to a holy God. Who has always had this intimate relationship with the son. There's never been a time where the father and the son have not been in this, this intimate love relationship with one another. From eternity past, this type of monogamous love. That the only begotten son. And, and there is something instinctual. When I looked across the room 17 years ago, thinking to myself, my role is to protect him. My, my role is to, to make sure nothing bad happens to him. I mean, there's something about that feeling that you have as a father to be able to say, I, 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 want, to, I want to cover. I want to protect. I mean, you can't do that Perfectly. We've had enough in 17 years with three boys. We, we've, we've spent our time in the emergency room. We've reset broken bones. We've stitched up places all across from sporting events to accidents at home. So we can't do that because we, and we, we shouldn't do that, should we not? We shouldn't be able to protect our kids from all their scrapes and their bruises because we know that their scrapes and their bruises strengthen them in so many ways. But if you knew what was coming around the corner, you as a father, you as a mother, what would you do? You would want to prevent them. If you knew that harm was going to come their way, you woke up that morning and said, hey, they're going to take a fall down this steep hill on their bike. You know that. It's going to happen at 1238. You as a parent are going to want to prevent that. Now think about this, what we're saying, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So he is in this intimate father-son relationship and there's never been a time where the father did not love the son and there has simultaneously never been a time where the father did not know that the death of his love for the son would be a love that would extend to this world because he knew from eternity past that he would give his son who would be betrayed, beaten, crucified, that he would die a criminal's death, that he knew that there was never a time where this father did not know that his son would be beaten and betrayed and die a pauper's death. This is how much he loves you. This is the depth of God's love for you, that he didn't protect his son from ridicule. He didn't protect his son from mockery. He didn't protect his son from betrayal. He didn't protect his son from being beaten. He didn't protect his son from being spit upon or crucified. This is the depth of our heavenly father's love for you here this morning. I heard the story of a father and a son in England almost 100 years ago now, over 100 years ago. It's one of the darkest days of World War I. A war that claimed, many of you know this, a shocking high number of English young men. The number is around 880,000 young English men died. That is 6% of the adult male population at that time. That is a staggering number. It's a father and there's a son. They're walking through a neighborhood, and the young boy notices in the windows that there are stars in the windows. So he asked his dad, dad, why the stars? And his son says, this, these stars are there because of the terrible war, son. It shows that these people with stars on the windows, they have, they have given a son. So that young boy took that in and he kept on walking. He looked up into the sky and he points to this bright evening star and he looks to his dad and he says, daddy, look at that star. God must have given a son too. And isn't that the meaning of Christmas? There is a terrible war against evil. And God gave his only son as the price that is paid to defeat evil, to defeat sin, to defeat hell and death. This is the depth of God's love. I want you to see the extent of God's love, the depth of God's love. But finally this morning as we look at this familiar passage... I want you to behold, once again, the result of God's love. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's interesting to talk about this on Christmas morning. There's a part of me that wants to sort of stop at the depth and the extent, but I can't. Because we must move to the result of God's love. And, and to talk about the God's love, we must contrast uh, perishing to the embracing of eternal life here. So there's a great fork in the road in each of our lives. And what we decide leads to perishing or it leads to eternal life. Now, of course, this word perishing means physical death. I mean, since Adam and Eve and since the sin of Adam and Eve and entered into the garden, so there have been co- coffins that are made for all of us. There's only one that is eluded Looted the the finality of death, and that is Jesus Christ who has defeated it on Easter morning. But every one of us that are gathered here recognize that that is the destination that we head to. That there will be death that we will meet. But notice in contrast that perishing isn't just physical death that we're talking about here. Because it's set in contrast between perishing and eternal life. So the type of perishing that John is describing here is eternal perishing. Do you see what John is telling us? That each person who rejects the gift of Jesus on earth chooses to reject his gift of salvation for an eternity. That if we live apart from him on earth, then in fact we're choosing to live apart from God's love for an eternity. C.S. Lewis, in a wonderful book called The Great Divorce, describes it this way. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, Lewis says, choose it. I know it's Christmas morning, but it is important to hear the weight of John three sixteen. It's important to be reminded that hell is not a fantasy, nor is it a fiction. It's not a party, nor is it pleasant. But it is the consequence of our rebellion. It is the penalty of our sin, and it is infinite and it is eternal. But it does not have to be the destination for anyone who is here in this sanctuary. There is a way that has been made for you. And and the, the wonderful ring of truth that we need to hear this morning on Christmas morning is the great promise of God's love for all who believe upon him. That the end of our life is not the end, but rather it is the beginning of an eternity with him. And for those who believe in Christ, those who trust Jesus as their Savior, when we meet death and the finality of death here on earth, it is a doorway. And we will be more alive in that moment of an eternity than we ever have experienced here on earth. And every chapter in the eternity that is ahead is better and better and better than the chapter that comes before. And that is really good news. As much joy as we have in regard to Christmas, Christmas is always bittersweet. And there are many of you that are here this day and this is your first Christmas. I mean, you can fill in that blank with a lot of grief, but this might be the first Christmas after the divorce. This might be the first Christmas after mom passed away or a brother or sister. Or dad or a friend and it is really good news on Christmas to know that our loved ones who are not sitting next to us right now are experiencing the joy of eternity in a place of healing and homecoming a place where all their pains here on the earth have turned into ceaseless and endless praises And the disease that was shackled them even in those uh, last days and last weeks, it is is finally released and it is endless doxology. That that is a joyful thing that we get to experience here on Christmas. And so the question is, is how do I receive this gift? If if I stand at this road and there's a fork and there is to receive the gift or to reject the gift, I want to receive the gift. Don't you want to receive the gift? Where our loving Father is extending this gift and we unwrap this gift by believing in him. That word believe is is not an accidental word. We're only three chapters into John's gospel and 11 times John has has ushered us into the gospel through that word right there. It, It means to acknowledge the claims of Jesus, that he is who he says he is. He has done what he, and the word tells us that he has done but it also means to yield our allegiance to him. It is to acknowledge him, but it is also to yield our allegiance to him. If you wanna believe, you are trusting your life to him. You're entrusting your future to him. You're turning away from sin and you're trusting him to be your savior. And when you trust him, eternal life, it flows to you. Starting now with the abundant life that we receive, it flows to you like water from this endless perfect stream. It's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift that no one in this sanctuary, no one in this earth can earn. We don't earn God's approval, but we receive His approval through His Son Jesus. So we receive this gift. And as we receive this gift as Christians, we live a life of gratitude to God. We follow Him willingly and we show people with our lips and our lives, with our words and with our actions, what He has done and who we have received. So I ask you this Christmas morning do you believe? I ask you this Christmas morning, have you received? I ask you this Christmas morning, have you unwrapped the greatest gift that has ever been given? It was prepared for you from an eternity past with a loving father, giving his only son so that no one here would have to perish, but all could receive eternal life. Do you believe that he died for your sins upon the cross? Do you trust him as your Savior? There is no more important gift to receive. And this gift has been opened. And can't we celebrate this for 2,000 years across continents and across cultures and across languages? There are millions of people that have bowed their knees and they've unwrapped this gift by faith. And this one verse, it still holds up, it's still sturdy it still reminds us of the greatest news that we receive and the greatest news that we ever share. For God is the greatest subject ever. He so loved the greatest affection ever, the world the greatest object ever, that he gave the greatest act ever, his only son the greatest gift ever, that whoever believes the greatest opportunity ever in him, the greatest attraction ever, should not perish The greatest promise ever, but the greatest difference ever, have the greatest certainty ever, eternal life, the greatest possession ever. This, my friends, is just how much God loves you. This is the gift of Christmas. Receive Him today, thank Him today. And share this gift with your lips, with your lives. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Let us pray.